When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to What the Fab, a fans first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry. We are one day after a trade deadline that for some teams was a little mint and for some teams was sort of wild. And I am so excited to be joined by two of my favorite league mates from GLAR, the first two return guests on What the Fab, both of them, super stoked going to be a Glarfapalooza here on What the Fab today. You know Mike Carter from his work at Fantrax and the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You know Michael Govier from the Palazzo Podcast and his work at FPN Fantasy. I know both of them from Glarf and just being generally amazing baseball dudes. And I am really thrilled to welcome both of you back to What the Fab. How's it going? We'll start with Mike Carter. It's going really well. I'm thrilled to be, be able to be on with you again. And Govier and I have not been on the same podcast for a couple of years now. So uh, I always love coming on with you, Sarah. We always talk a great game and, and talk a lot offline, too. And Govier, you know, I, I, a lot of people don't might not know this, but one of the big reasons why I stuck it out in fantasy baseball and writing and things was because of Michael. Um, he was a huge influence on me being able to stick it out and working at the Roto Fanatic and really encouraging me to keep writing and keep trying to grow and learn more about analytics and, and help with those things. So Govier, shout out to you. Thank you for your contribution in my, uh, somewhat, I guess you call it a baseball life, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Well, that's great, Mike. Thanks, buddy. I wrote a fanatic was a lifetime ago. In the fantasy baseball world, there's a lot of things that come and go. People come and go. Uh, websites come and go. But you keep on grinding, and you try to grow from each experience. So, yeah, I'm so glad we're on a show together, Mike. It's long overdue. And, Sarah, I feel like I just saw you because I think I did. <laughs> you did. Uh, you helped me a couple of trade deadline previews ago. We're just going to jump right in. This is the first two twice-a-week episode of this show, but you can't not do a post-trade deadline recap. And so I am thrilled to have both Govier and Mike here. And yeah, let's do it. So we're going to start um, with the AL East where Baltimore, did they do enough? They are winning this division right now. They added Jack Flaherty, who has really been struggling this season, gave up a few uh, minor league prospects for him. Earlier, they added Shintaro Fujinami um, from the athletics, but I mean, he's been kind of made this season. I feel like if I'm an Orioles fan, I am disappointed this trade deadline. And I don't think much of this moves the fantasy baseball needle much for me, but I'm curious what you think, Dobier. 
Well, Baltimore did what they thought was just enough because despite everybody always wanting them to add more, go bigger and bigger, and use their prospects for good in terms of growing what they have and getting a big-time player, quote-unquote, it's not the Baltimore way. Look what they've done. Look where they are now and how they've gotten to the point at this time. It's not because they did a big free agent bonanza of mega deals and big acquisitions. A lot of homegrown talent, tons of resources in the farm system, and quality signings of guys that are maybe a little bit undervalued or not as appreciated who then get on cheap. You know, the Kyle Gibsons and every starting pitcher on their roster seems to be just a command pinpoint control type guy. Nobody who's a really dominant flamethrower who gets a lot of whiffs and is a stat cast darling, right? So you just got to accept this by now. You can't keep trying to change what the Orioles are going to be and how they're going to go about their business. They're going to keep doing things their way, and this is their way. A Jack Flaherty move is just, all right, that's fine. That'll work. Jack Flaherty, maybe we can get a little bit more out of him. And since we've changed defenses and captain yards a couple years ago, our pitching has been much, much better. So maybe Flaherty can benefit from that going forward. I, I don't really have a... I don't really have a big problem with what they did. Dylan Cease was, oh, Dylan Cease, go to the Orioles. No, the White Sox, though they're morons, as Mike Carter knows, they weren't going to give up Dylan Cease just yet unless there was going to be a big haul. And even then, I still think it might have been a bad idea. Yeah, the word on the street here with the Cease issue was um, that they asked for Jackson Holiday, And that, you know, similar to uh, what Govier is saying, I mean, there was no way Jackson Holiday was coming back in a trade for Dylan Cease. I mean, I don't think that that was going to happen. To the Orioles' point, they could have had Cease for three years of, of postseason runs, uh, ostensibly, uh, because he's controlled for another two more two more years on his contract. Uh, I think the Sox were probably shooting really high there. I mean, it, it's similar to the idea of you know owning a large piece of property and wanting to sell it, but knowing that you don't have to. You know, not that I'm in that position, <laughs> but but the idea being like you know they don't ha- they didn't have to move Cease. That somebody's got to pitch for the White Sox, right? So. Uh, Flaherty is a good consolation prize for them. Flaherty has not been great all year, to your point, Sarah. I have him in a couple of the highest stakes NFBC leagues that I kind of took a flyer on as somebody that I thought would be uh, somebody that might give us some positive value. But he is 3-1 and one in July. ERA is 3, uh, 26 strikeouts and 29 innings. Um, walks continue to be a bit of a bugaboo for him. But, you know, we also know that Baltimore works wonders with some of their pitchers. And so maybe they saw something there that they feel they can work on. I don't know. You know, I am the foremost detractor of using catcher ERA as a stat to predict anything, mainly because it is usually weaponized against my one true love, Wilson Contreras. However, <laughs> I will say Adley Rutschman is an excellent defensive catcher and the Orioles have some phenomenal game planning skills. And I do wonder if that's worth, I don't know, quarter of a run, half a run for Jack Flaherty over the last two months of the season. I'm more interested in Flaherty today than I was yesterday. I also don't think the Orioles did enough to save off the next two teams that we are going to talk about who both made crazy moves. Uh, we're going to start with the Tampa Bay Rays, who kind of did some race things, right? They traded Aaron uh, Kyle Manzardo, big bat, for Aaron Savali to the Guardians. And the other move that I think is sneaky good here, and I'm just going to like show my Cubs fandom here for a second, they traded Josh Robertson to the Cubs for Manny Rodriguez and Adrian Sampson. Manny Rodriguez is kind of a stuff darling. He throws wicked hard, like 98, 99 miles per hour. The Cubs just have not been able to get him to harness it. Adrian Sampson was a perfectly serviceable fifth starter for the Chicago Cubs for like all of last season. He kind of lost it a little bit this year and has not found it 
in AAA, but I like what the Rays can do with pitchers. I think they can get a lot out of both Adrian Sampson and Manny Rodriguez. What do you think, Carter? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Rodriguez is a guy that I was pretty high on the last couple of years uh, in terms of uh, a a guy that for dynasty purposes, obviously not in redraft, but uh, have been waiting on him to develop. And for whatever reason, the Cubs have not been able to get him to harness his stuff. Uh, Getting Savale, you know, I know Eno loves him and with the curve plus and all that stuff, but giving up Manzardo seemed like a big give up for Savale to me. Um, That was my first blush i also like the getting the them getting robert stevenson i think robert stevenson is another bullpen type guy that really flies under the radar but can get people out in key situations and tampa's just going to keep doing tampa things yeah what do you think about that govier agree or disagree i like the samson deal and i actually wanted to write about it you know i waited until the trade deadline was over of course for my weekly article it usually comes out on tuesday but I've, it would have been so obsolete without the trade deadline so i figured i'd wait till today and that's why i was up to like 6 30 this morning uh trying to move and also write that article which was uh you know why do th- I, I say this on twitter why do this to ourselves you know it's not like i'm getting paid a boatload of money to do this but it really just kind of comes down to it's so much fun it really is fun to write about baseball it is and i, I can't deny that so i wanted to write about adrian Sampson, but i decided not to include him but i do regret that now because sarah you're right He's fully capable last year, and now he's going to the Rays, who are just so, so trustworthy to me. Everybody talks about the Cleveland Guardians and their pitching development, but I trust the Rays with pitching as much as anybody else in baseball. You know What Zach Eflin has become this year by coming over and leaving Philadelphia, that was a great signing. He's been, I mean, his his uh, peripherals, like his FIP and Sierra, are much lower than his ERA, which is already pretty decent around like 3.5 or 3.6 this season. So... I'm all about Samson maybe contributing here. And yes, Rodriguez is a guy who, you know, he probably won't close, but if he becomes part of this bullpen and you play in uh, saves hold leagues, you should definitely take a look at Manny Rodriguez. I I like this deal. Uh, Manzardo's a guy that people assume is a god, but prospects come and go, man. Even highly touted ones like Kyle Manzardo. You have no idea what will happen here. And I'm actually sad that he's with Cleveland now because they're just so, I mean, they got no hit by Framber Valdez last night. They're a disaster offensively. They are a disaster offensively. A couple other moves here that I think are interesting just for like, I don't know, historic purposes. Uh, Alex Jackson, former first round pick, gets picked up by the Rays. He's a catcher now in their system. And the Luis Patino post, 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 post type sleeper stuff appears to have died. He was traded to, I believe, the White Sox for cash consideration. So I think that is the Rays pulling the plug on Luis Patino. No offense to the White Sox. I trust the Rays to develop (laughs) pitchers more than the White Sox. The team who I think, yeah, Carter, I I apologize, man. I know it's a rough trade deadline on the south side of Chicago. Um, The team who I think had the most interesting deadline in the AL East is absolutely the Toronto Blue Jays, who got hit with a couple of injuries right as the trade deadline was occurring and did not blink before they bolstered everything that they needed. So uh, Jordan Romano hits the IL. Looks like it's going to be a short stint. They don't care. Add Jordan Hicks immediately. Bo Bichette has some knee issues. They don't care. Add Paul DeYoung immediately. There's just like a pipeline of Cardinals going to Canada here. I feel like there's collusion here and I would like somebody to look into it. Just kidding. Uh, added Henesis Cabrera for Sammy Hernandez. What do we think of what the Blue Jays did, Govier? <laughs> Blue Jays have really put me on edge lately because I acquired a couple of those guys, Bo Bichette and Jordan Romano in my home league, which is a head-to-head cats league on Yahoo. Ride or die, Yahoo forever. But... <laughs> I was really bummed out because both of them 
got hurt. And I was like, oh, geez, what a mistake. What bad timing. But the Blue Jays are going to be okay. You know? Bo Bichette doesn't seem that serious. That's great news. Knee inflammation. It looked a lot worse on Monday night. I panicked and freaked out for sure, but it looks like he'll be okay. And Romano, yes, a back issue. I think the short stint point is a little suspect still because it showed up in the All-Star game, and then it just shows up again, and he had to go right on the IL. And a back is a nightmare. It's just a real problem. A back could ruin his season, sadly. So I'm a little more concerned about Romano. So that's why it was really smart to bring in Hicks when they've already got some guys that they could trust, like Swanson and Yimi Garcia. I like Yimi. And Paul DeYoung's a guy who strikes out a bunch. We talked about Paul DeYoung last week, Sarah, on the trade deadline <laughs> preview show. And you were you were kind of uh, in favor of him being more useful, especially defensively, than some people realize. So it's a nice hole to fill. I like what Toronto did here. Nothing too flashy, but you're filling in the parts. They got a lot of superstar talent. They need those other little areas to be filled in to lock down a playoff spot. And I believe they will lock down a playoff spot. The two teams who did almost nothing in this division are the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. The most interesting name going to one of those two teams is Luis Urias going to the Red Sox for Bradley Blaylock. Uh, I, okay, at one point yesterday, I was asking people if Brian Cashman needed a wellness check because the Yankees had done no, like absolutely nothing. They apparently settled for Kenyon Middleton and Spencer Howard when they need multiple bats. So I don't know what is going on in New York. I don't know if the prices were just too high or what. Carter, what do you think of the Red Sox and Yankees? Are they kind of thrown in the towel? Because it looks like the Blue Jays and Rays are not. And even the Orioles were like, yeah, we're going to make actual moves. <laughs> I definitely think the Red Sox are, are planning for the future. And, and you know, they had uh, it looked like they had some thoughts of moving Verdugo and uh, maybe making some moves there. They're all kind of waiting on Trevor Story to come back and see what they have. But, you know, they've got a lot of holes. And I think they knew that going in. They competed for a while, but they've been kind of struggling here the last few weeks. The Yankees are, it's an interesting thing. I just had uh, talk Chris Torres off the ledge in our podcast uh, earlier this morning, just discussing that a team like the Yankees should have more resources than what they have. I mean, the other night they had Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who's a fine player but was batting sixth and playing left field. I mean, that's not something that a contending team does. Um, they just don't have the depth pieces. Billy McKinney, Willie Calhoun. I mean, those are fine guys to have, but they play way too much in New York. They don't really have the prospect capital to go after what they needed either. You know, Radon has been a disappointment, but, you know, he's coming back from injury. Garrett Cole's been Garrett Cole. Bullpen's been good. They're lacking starting pitching. They're lacking really outstanding defense for the most part. And like you said, they need bats and, those don't just grow on trees. You have to be able to move players to be able to get those guys. And they just don't have anybody that people really are knocking the door down to get, you know, in 2000, what was it? 2016 when they got Glaber for a role, this Chapman to the, your beloved cubbies. Yes, it was, <laughs> which, which, which helped them win the whole thing. Right. You know, that's a, that's a great prospect, but what's the, when's the last time the Yankees got a great prospect in a trade? It's been a long time. I mean, so that was also the year they traded Andrew Miller for Clint Frazier, ja then Jackson Frazier, then Clint Frazier again. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And Clint Frazier is now in the White Sox organization, by the way. So still going by Clint. Yes. Yes, he is. There was some confusion there for a oh, hot yeah. minute. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's just real quick grade the best trade deadline in the AL East. I think it goes to the Blue Jays for me, but I could see a case being made for the Rays. What do you think, OVA? Yeah, I think you're kind of splitting hairs there. I <clears throat> I will say the Red Sox, they didn't really do much when it all kind of adds up. But I just want to ride for Luis Arias getting dealt and moving on from Milwaukee. 
Luis Arias of the Brewers, of course, formerly, now of the Red Sox, who is still just turned 26 years old. Yes, he's had a lot of injury problems. Uh, I really like him more in OBP leagues than in average leagues because he's got better play discipline than he can make contact. And maybe there's a chance that he can, you know, surface here. But yeah, I'm going to take the Rays, I think, by a nose. I think they did the most and the smartest moves that will help them. Carter, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would lean more Rays on that. I like their under-the-radar moves quite a bit. Um, they know how to build a team. They know, they've they been doing it for a long time. I like what Toronto did. I didn't really comment on that. I like what Toronto did um, in terms of adding some parts, like like Govier said, you know, some glue guys that you need to be able to have. But if they're missing Romano for an extended period of time, that's going to really hurt them because I don't – I like Hicks and how he goes about his business, but I don't trust him as a closer. And Swanson would be an okay choice as a closer there. And Yimi does have experience closing, but if they don't have Romano, that's going to really hurt. They can get by without Bo for a little while. I think DeJong would be a, a fine replacement for him for a little while, but they're not going to be able to go too far without Romano. They got to get that back figured out. That's a really great point. And I agree with you on Jordan Hicks. I've watched Jordan Hicks blow a lot of games. I'm actually not sure that the other reliever they got from the Cardinals isn't a better option to close at some points in time. I've seen Hennessy Cabrera close pretty well. Govier looks like he has something he really wants to add there. No, I just find that to be a dubious statement, but I have fallen in love with him <laughs> once upon a time. We'll see if Cabrera can still maintain a sense of just being stable, though. That's my question. That's the question for bullpens. Can bullpen guys keep it up for any amount of time? Let's go to the AL Central, where I think it's pretty clear uh, the winner of this trade deadline for me is probably the Guardians, just on what they tried to do here and the fact that half of the division was selling. But let's let's talk it through. The Twins basically did a reliever swap, swapping Dylan Floro for Jorge Lopez. The Marlins will try to fix Jorge Lopez, and the tw- Twins will try to fl- fix Dylan Floro. And honestly, just stood pat with what they have, thinking that they can win in a weak division. I think the Guardians want to charge here. What do you think, Carter? This is your space. Yeah, you know, I, I like what they did. I mean, I, I think that they kind of look at it as a, a team sort of in transition. You know, they they uh, obviously have some pretty significant pitching injuries at this time uh, with McKenzie out, with um, having traded Savale now as well, um, and missing Bieber and um, uh, Quantrill as well, right? So I think that they kind of look at it the same way that they did last year, which is, yeah, we're kind of hanging around. We get a hot month in there. Maybe we could be okay, but they're also kind of retooling for the future. You know, um, I thought getting Khalil Watson for Josh Bell essentially straight up. I mean, they had Segura, but they're going to, they're going to release Segura if they haven't already. Khalil Watson was a guy that kind of was flying under the radar here a little bit and it could be a really good prospect. And Manzardo seems like a good prospect too. Although I share what Govier said, you know, I'm not hundred percent sold on that. And the one kind of intriguing piece, and and people are really torn on this. I was talking about it with Dave Funnel the other day. Is with Sun, with Syndergaard, you know, if if somebody can get through his block head and get him <laughs> to understand, you're not going to throw 98 anymore ever again. But you can sit at 92, 93 and get guys out if you do it this way. He might be able to be productive. I'm not saying he's going to be Thor of old or anything like that. But the Indians have a really good track record of fixing pitchers right we we know this we know that they do a really good job with pitching they might be able to fix that although Syndergaard did not do himself any favors in his post-game conference where he was talking about you know I just got to be me and all this other crap it's like hey guess what you have to learn how to do more with less stuff and maybe he would become a better pitcher if he did that will he be able to do that we don't know the jury's out but if anybody can do it outside of Tampa it's Cleveland 
I mean, you got to just live with what you've got sometimes. I used to dance classical ballet. I did it for 12 years. I could do lots of pirouettes and fuites and all sorts of jumps that are French words that nobody would understand on this podcast. And you know what I cannot do anymore? <laughs> any of those things. I cannot do any of those things. And that's okay because I haven't taken a ballet class in 20 years and nobody expects me to be able to do any of those things. But I absolutely agree with you. Syndergaard is not throwing 98 again and he needs to, uh, he needs to, accept that and, and react accordingly. Govia, you are also an AL Central dude. What do you think about what happened in this division? Uh, and what do you agree with my take that the Guardians won the division? Or is it one of the rebuilding teams that did some sneaky good stuff? Because I kind of like what both the White Sox and the Royals did during the seven. Yeah, you're uh, leading me into where I wanted to go. I like the Royals the most. I really do. And uh, by the way, Khalil Watson, uh, he is really far behind here. He's still struggling in the low ends of the minors. Yes, he's only 20 years old, but uh, I'm not so sure he's end up he's going to end up being anything. So we'll see how that plays out. Plus, Gene Segura just got let go after he gets traded, which was weird. But uh, hey, that happens, I guess. But for me, yes, I like what the Royals did. Bringing in Nelson Velasquez. There it is. You know, we talked about him, Sarah, last week. Your cubby is now going to be with the Royals. But uh, my only question is, man, He's still in a logjam outfield situation now where I don't think it's that much better for him. I was hoping he'd go somewhere else where he could be unleashed. And we've seen what happened with Edward Olivares of the Royals over the last couple seasons. I, I got my concerns now for him, but at least he's out of the Cubs now and maybe has a chance to thrive. And although the ballpark is worse, I'd rather hit in Wrigley than I would in Kaufman. But, you know. The Nelson Velasquez thing is killing me because I love him. He's actually, that was the hardest piece in my opinion that the Cubs let go of over this trade deadline like I and the Cubs have a glut of like 40 plus future value guys and that's what they traded from right DJ Hurts Kevin I don't even actually know if it's made or Made, and I apologize for not knowing that I really should uh, Nelson Velasquez like they kind of traded from that glut of dudes who are like back end bench dudes could maybe be a thing someday Nelson Velasquez has light tower power the dude hits the ball really 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 hard I watched him hit a grand slam earlier this year against yep, the Mariners Seattle. to complete a comeback in the fourth inning was one of the greatest moments I've seen at Wrigley since 2016-2017. And I love the idea that he might get some run as a power bat for the Royals. And I hate that it is Kansas City. And I hate that he's going to be competing for outfield time with like Kyle Isbell. Yep, that's the problem here. I don't know. I don't know when he's going to be useful to them without injuries. The injuries are going to have to play a role here. And I also hate to say it, but maybe Velasquez ends up being a fourth outfielder type who has moments where he's a streamer that you pick up and you ride a hot streak for a week or two. I don't want that to be the case, but that might be reality. I got to face the truth here. I, I do. But otherwise, I also like that uh, you know they brought in some other guys that could take some chances on here and they got rid of some of their older players. Ryan Yarbrough to the Dodgers. That's a nice move for the Dodgers too. And it's also smart for the Royals to at least get a couple players this evening get something out of Devin Mann and Derlin Figueroa but I I really just like that they traded some of the older guys who are not part of the Royals new regime and future they brought in all kinds of players like Taylor Hearn for Nicky Lopez as well as Nicky Lopez went to the Braves and then Tucker Davidson's here from the Angels who was a former Braves farmhand uh he still might have a little something to offer so you know bring in a bunch of players see what happens I like what the Royals did here I did uh, I would be remiss if I did not ask Mike Carter what he thought about what the White Sox did here. So I've got to ask, you got some really great prospects back for Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, a major league ready player in Trace Thompson and some prospects back for Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly. Kind of like the Jake 
I don't know if it's Eater or Etter swap for Jake Berger. What do you think of what the White Sox did this uh, this trade deadline, Mike? I honestly thought they were going to do more than what they ended up doing. Um, I, I I didn't see the Berger trade coming. I don't think really anybody did, but they got a really good prospect back in in Eater who. Um, from what we're being told, looks like a, a a potential number two type starter, big lefty coming back off of Tommy John surgery from last year. Um, I was not surprised that they traded any of the pitchers. I actually thought they might even actually go further and trade Bummer, maybe look at moving Kopech, but somebody's still got to be able to pitch, right? So it's hard to know exactly what Rick Hahn's plan is. I mean, I guess that they're, I guess this means retooling. They're going to keep Robert, they're keeping Eloy. God only knows what they're going to do with Tim Anderson. Colson Montgomery is coming on pretty quickly. Maybe the thought process is, and I'm not quoting anybody on this. It's just my own thought. Like maybe they move TA over to second base and let Montgomery play shortstop next year. The one thing that I'm excited about is that they finally look like they might have a catcher at some point between these two guys that they just got. Cuero is a bat first switch hitting uh, catcher, still young, has a lot of work to do behind the plate to become a better catcher. But Corey Lee, I think, will be in the next week or 10 days their starting catcher. He's coming back off an injury from Houston. Um, Houston had him as a top prospect. I was really surprised they gave him up for Kendall Graveman, but they love Kendall Graveman there. He's a great clubhouse guy, fits in really good to the back end of their bullpen in the middle tier there. But uh, Corey Lee will probably end up being the Sox starting catcher because they have to. They have to. Uh, yes, Monty Grandal is going to walk at the end of the year. They're not going to bring him back. He's been terrible behind the plate, even though he's got thousands and thousands of innings of experience. He's been really bad back there. And Sebi Zavala can't – I don't know if he would start catching on my uh, travel team. So my my point in all of that is I think that I think Corey Lee is going to be the guy that comes out of that, and, and we'll see what he is. Um, I hope that the White Sox will use this opportunity to let Oscar Colas play, call up Lenin Sosa, let him play. They got to figure out what these guys are all about. Um, I, I don't really see them – Han said, you know, we're going to contend next year. And I'm like, contend for what? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like well, the division's really, terrible, Mike. Yeah. I mean, you're either, but that's the thing though, right? Govia, it's like for me and this, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. And Sarah, you probably will disagree because you're a Cubs fan and you guys are like right on the cusp of play, you're playing good ball. And that's different than what the White Sox have been doing. Right. So the Sox are 43 and 65 brutal after starting seven and 21, the Sox are terrible. We all know that, but if you're going to do it, you're gonna, you, you know, you got to do it, right? So, like, what's the what's the team gonna look like next year? We they have holes in the starting pitching staff now, unless they go prospect wise with that. They're hoping that Vaughn develops. They're hoping that Colas develops. It's like, you know, there's not really any plan there. It doesn't appear to like really hang your head on. That being said, they went from having like the 27th or 28th um, farm system to being like in the top 12, top 14 now with the moves they made. So there's a little bit of hope mixed in there, but like this wasn't supposed to happen. They were supposed to be contending. This is, it's been a disaster. And Tony LaRusso was not the issue apparently. So. Yeah. Govia and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We, we all might owe Tony LaRusso an apology and as much <laughs> as it pains me as a Cubs fan to even say that, like, I think it might be true. Govia, I want to ask you about what, Carter just said about the White Sox. I also want to ask about what you think that, about what the Tigers did, given that you are a Detroit dude. Um, and I honestly think the headliner for parts of this trade line might be that Erod did not move. That man was like, nope, I'm staying on the East Coast. I'm not going to L.A. Yeah, he's a fickle dude, I'll tell you. Last year, he's gone for five weeks, doesn't talk to anybody. This year, he says, Dodgers, kiss off. So you just never know what Eduardo Rodriguez is going to do, and I kind of like it. I like that. I like his vibe. He just... 
You never know what's going to happen. But real quick on the White Sox, they were 500 last year, which is not terrible. This division is terrible. The AL Central is wide open still. It will be next year again. Even the Tigers think they have a chance probably next year. They really do. Mm-hmm. And the year before that, the White Sox made the playoffs. So, yes, they're supposed to contend this year. I think, Mike, I know you're passionate about the White Sox. But if you take a step back, they can really bounce back next year. And it wouldn't be a surprise to me. It wouldn't. Because I expected them to be a pretty good team this year as well. So that's what I'll say about the White Sox. And with the Tigers, they got rid of Michael Lorenzen, which was great news because he's been completely, you know, over his skis. Not somebody that I'm believing in. Again, I brought this up last week. I just don't trust him. And now that he's in Philadelphia, that's a buzzkill. But for the Tigers to get a prospect, a Hayu Lee, who is a single-A prospect that I wasn't really aware of, but looking him up, he's looks like he's got a solid bat. So I'm excited about where he'll fit into the farm system that desperately needs bats. So I'm really glad that Lorenzo was traded for a bat. That's a positive move by Scott Harris in a new regime here. And then, uh, you know, the Erod thing. I think they really like him. I think he likes being here, oddly enough. Maybe he feels mm-hmm. guilty about last year and wants to, like, you know, yeah, I've, you know, I disappeared and I had some things going on. It wasn't cool. And I feel like I owe you guys. And I'm, I'm pitching really well here. And I love working with Chris Fetter, who's the best pitching coach in all of baseball. So why would I want to leave this ballpark and this team? After we get rid of the albatross, that is Miguel Cabrera, next season, we really got a shot to maybe raise this thing up. Maybe we can make like a Reds-type run in 2024. I, I think that, you know, that may sound silly to some, but... The Tigers have battled with not a very talented team. You look at the White Sox, who've just got way more more talent this year, haven't really been able to do much. And then the Tigers, who have much less talent this year, have been able to get more out of their team. I think that says something about A.J. Hinch, the manager, and the philosophy and the team they have here. And that kind of bodes well for next year. So I I like that the Tigers didn't get too crazy here. And Scott Harris kind of felt things out in year one. You know, it's really interesting that you bring up the, like, the Tigers could compete next year. I think that's how both Central Divisions sort of play out. It's like... The, t- the divisions are so not good that it's like, ah, we're like one year away. And and I really think that's what the Cubs did this year when we, like, spoiler alert, when we get to the NL Central, like, I, I think that's why they're still alive. Uh, we are going to bounce to the AL West really quick, which I think is probably the most interesting division for the trade deadline in baseball. What's going on with the Rangers and the Astros right now is absolutely bananas. The Rangers were like, we need some pitching. We're adding Scherzer. We're adding Jordan Montgomery. We're adding Araldis Chapman, and we're doing it early to make sure that we have him as long as humanly possible. They got some catching depth because Jonah Heim has had some injury issues, and they didn't settle for one backup catcher. Like they, they went out and got Austin Hedges. They went off, out and got Kevin Pawlecki. Meanwhile, the Astros were like, oh, fine. You want to add some starting pitching? We're going to add Justin Verlander back and Kendall Graveman, who are not just dudes who can pitch. They're dudes who can pitch who have pitched in the Astros system before, which means they already know them and they know what they need to work on and probably know what they need to fix. I'm just going to leave it there for a second. We'll talk about the Angels and the Mariners and the A's in a second. Like, they're all interesting, too. But, like, I think the Rangers and Astros were far and away the two most interesting teams at the deadline. Who do we think won the trade deadline between the Rangers and the Astros? Govier. Boy, I disagree with that. I, I, I want to. I think everybody here. How rare is it that a division like everybody outside of the A's loaded up? I mean, this is a pretty unique moment. I think in trade deadline history, it really is. But yes, the Rangers and Astros 
are getting a lot of the limelight, and it's deserved because Max Scherzer's there, Jordan Montgomery, or all this Chapman, as you said, and they gave up Luis Angel Acuna, the younger brother of Ronald Acuna, who is not Ronald, let's be clear on that, but I still think he's a guy who could possibly borderline be a future batting champ because he's really good at contact just for that reason. But there's not power, but he could run. He could fly. There's no doubt about that. But Verlander coming back to Houston, yeah, not a surprise. I guess it was either going to be Houston or maybe nowhere else because I also feel like Verlander thinks about his legacy and his career, and he's like, how many different jerseys do I want to wear? You know, so I'm going to go back to Houston. I've worn that jersey before, so I don't have like another team. It, I think guys get older like, geez, I, I look like a has-been if I'm just adding another team to my stat sheet. So that may sound a little bit ego-driven, but these are baseball players we're talking about. So uh, I like it. Verlander, that's a solid move. He'll, he'll be reliable. He's not as dominant as he used to be, but you know you can trust him in clutch games and clutch situations. I absolutely think the Rangers will falter here and the Astros will 100% overtake this division. Great. Ooh, strong call. Strong call. I also love that this whole division was like, yeah, we're doing things. Thank you to the Angels for not giving up. I know there's a bunch of like MLB bigwigs out there today who are like, oh, they should have traded Shohei Otani. They're going to regret this, blah, 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 blah. Absolutely not. You have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on your roster. You should try to compete every single year. I will die on this hill. It's good for baseball. It's good for baseball fans. Nobody should ever be trading the best player in the last 50 years of this game. Like, come on. What are we even doing here? Carter, what do you think? Uh, Rangers and Astros, Angels, maybe a little bit. Like, what do you think about the AL West? It's an interesting division. I think the Astros will overtake the Rangers as well. I, I like the idea that they went for it by, you know, adding Scherzer and Verlander into the same division. I'm also one of those guys that, as an older person, I know that adding old people is fraught with peril. Um, Scherzer is not Max Scherzer. Verlander is not Justin Verlander the way that they once were. If they had been, maybe the Mets wouldn't be in the position that they're in, right, in some ways. So I think uh, adding Verlander to me, I think Verlander is the safer bet than Scherzer. I've I've seen some things from Scherzer lately that I'm not exactly 100% sure on. He's still really good, but he's not Max Scherzer with the 220 ERA. He's Max Scherzer with the 430 ERA. It's a a big difference. He's, He's learned how to pitch with less and We'll see what happens. I what I really like what the Rangers did was was in adding Montgomery and Stratton. Uh, those are two really kind of under the wire moves that uh, Jordan Montgomery does not get as much love as he probably should from the fantasy community. You know, he doesn't always win, but he's got some pretty good stuff there. And Stratton has always been a valuable bullpen arm piece to have there. And Texas needed some help there in that regard. So I like that they bolstered that. Getting Austin Hedges, who is arguably the best defensive catcher in the game to augment the loss of Jonah Heim, who is also one of the best defensive catchers in the game, was a really smart move. Um, I didn't think Houston did enough, personally. But I still think that they're going to overtake Texas because I think Texas is going to hit a spell where they become a little bit clueless. I I don't see them riding riding this hot all the way through. The one thing I will say about Texas – Bruce Bochy, man, if any manager can make a difference in a playoff run, I kind of think it might be that dude. Let's talk about the Angels really fast because the Angels did some interesting things here. And I, I, again, love that the Angels are going for it. They added Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, sending a couple of top prospects who we talked about a second ago to the White Sox. They added CJ Crone and Randall Gritchick to make sure that they could bolster first base in the outfield. They added Eduardo Escobar for some depth. They added Mike Moustakas for some power. I don't think that this puts them in the same conversation with the Rangers and the Astros, but I also like what they did. What do you think, Gobier? Yeah, I think it's fun. They're going for it. They're trying. They're filling every void. They want all hands on deck. Do or die. We got to win now, and we need as many players as possible. Whoever can play 
We'll get the job done. And this is bad news for my guy, Trey Cabbage, who I really like a lot. He's the rookie who got called up recently, but he gets kind of thrown to the side here now because he got so many corner infielders. Uh, maybe he could find some spot in the outfielder, which he can play. But, uh, you know, with Taylor Ward, what a so awful what happened to Ward. He's out for the year now. They lost him. That was a big loss. Uh, I wonder how many losses they can overcome, though, because, you know, not having Trout and not having Ward, that's a problem. But having Giolito, you know, is like your guy you can trust right next to Otani. I think Giolito is an excellent number two. I really do. Uh, for fantasy, though, it's kind of a bummer because it's a six-man six man rotation now. That kind of turns me off a little bit from Giolito. But, yeah, I'm all about what the Angels did here. And I also expect the Mariners to be just as uh, pesky. And they did a lot of things that I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Let's go for it. Getting rid of Paul Seawald so Andres Munoz can finally have the opportunity to close. I think a lot of fantasy managers were really excited about that. And they brought in Josh Rojas, who still hasn't hit a home run this year, despite 216 plate appearances. Uh, you figure he's got to hit one eventually, but it's also not a great park for him to hit a home run up there in Seattle. So that might not actually end up working out. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if Seattle or the Angels come out because one of those teams has to suffer here, in my opinion. I think it's a great call out on the Mariners. I, I can't decide if I love or hate what the Mariners did here. They did a lot of like rearranging the deck chairs type of stuff, but in ways that are that could work out for them in a wild card race. I was a little surprised they didn't move Teoscar Hernandez, who has really struggled there. And I thought mm -hmm. they could get a piece or two back that would help them there in division. Uh, I also want to call out one implication that we did not talk about for fantasy purposes in the Rangers moves. The Rangers now have like seven starting pitchers, although four of those starting pitchers are pretty bad. And I honestly don't know how they're going to like, y'all tell me, and we can just go through this really fast. Dane Dunning, Andrew Heaney, Martin Perez, John Gray, you get to keep three in your rotation while Nathan Avaldi is out. Carter, which three do you keep? Um, I think I would keep Gray. I, I know Dunning doesn't have the best stuff, but he's been actually pretty good for them. I think Martin Perez would be the odd man out for me in that conglomeration. Dunning's a fraud. He's such a fraud, man. Uh, I, he just doesn't overpower people at all. I can't believe that he still isn't god-awful yet. It's amazing to me. Blows my mind, so I, I don't want Dunning at all. But you know what, though, Govier? He knows how to pitch. He doesn't have really great stuff, but he, I, when he was with the White Sox, the same thing. They traded him for Lance Lynn, which was a huge upgrade at the time for the White Sox. But Dunning, when he came up, that was the first thing I noticed about him. He's one of those soft-tossing guys who gets a lot of ground ball outs, you know, uh, yeah. but not gonna but not gonna light you up for fantasy purposes no doubt that's fair I think that I think Dunning is the odd guy out here too but honestly Carter might have just shifted my mindset a little bit because I am a Cubs fan and I love I love the ground ball contact type of thing I know we're gonna lose Govier here for a minute he joined us in the middle of a move because he is that <laughs> dude he is like the best dude so we're gonna take a quick commercial break for our sponsors Govier any uh, final trade deadline thoughts before the commercial break that you want to share and thank you for joining today Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I I, just, I love talking baseball with you guys. I hadn't seen Carter in forever, so I wanted to hop on, even though it's time to move on and get out of here. But thank you for having me. I'll tell you, the trade deadline was pretty fun. It kind of was a dud at the very end. But overall, there were so many fun moves that have reassessed and reorganized and changed the face of fantasy baseball over the final two months of the season. Make sure you follow me at Palazzo Podcast, MJ Govier on what used to be known as Twitter. That's where we're doing our thing. FTM Fantasy, where my weekly article is live today. Groove with Govier. It's totally free. Go read that and see what my... I picked out a few trades that I liked. So if you really want to get more of my trade deadline thoughts, I didn't cover every trade. I just picked out some of the ones that I thought were interesting and what the fantasy implications for those trades would be. 
And there you have it, my friend. So good to see you guys. Thanks for having me here. Anytime. Good luck with the move, my friend. I appreciate you joining us as you're moving so much. Uh, Carter and I are going to bring you home with all of the NL analysis. But first, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. And we are back. All right. It is NL time. And I got to say, as, as a meta statement, I don't think the moves in the National League were nearly as interesting as the moves in the American League. Like, I really feel like those teams in the AL West came to play. Like, I really feel like the Blue Jays and the Rays were like, no, we have problems. We're going to solve them. I don't really know that any team in the National League did that to the same degree. What do you think, Carter? No, I think you're totally right. I mean, I, in looking at the list that you've provided of with, with the moves and whatnot, you know, there were some under the radar types of things where where people added and and built some strength in, but there was no big like sexy name or anything that really traded uh, changed hands here. Uh, so I totally agree with your your assessment of that. It was not a it was not a sexy trade deadline in the National League. That's for sure. Yeah, let's start with the NL East, where maybe the best team in baseball is playing. That is the Atlanta Braves. They are going to get some starting pitching depth back. Max Freed, they've got Kyle Wright on the injured list. He should be back in September. They added Yanni Chirinos off of waivers earlier this month, and he just had a really great start today against that Angels team uh, that we were just talking about. And so, you know, in, I, I'm keeping my eye on Yanni Chirinos. I have not dropped him in places where I had picked him up uh, as a spot starter. I'm going to hang on to him as long as possible. They added Pierce Johnson. They added Brad Hand. They added Nicky Lopez. I mean, this is these are all depth moves for a team that is the best team in the National League and knows it. Yeah, they don't really have any holes, do they? I mean, they they really looked at it. Uh, Anthopolis is really a good general manager, really knows what he's doing. I think getting Pierce Johnson and Brad Hand were, were really strokes of genius for him. Uh, Pierce Johnson has a really live arm that, that Colorado was not really able to corral all that well uh, at times. Um, he profiled a bit as a closer there for a while for them this year. Um, and Brad Hand has that experience. But, you know, with Tyler Matzik having Tommy John surgery, they really needed a second lefty in that bullpen behind A.J. Minner. And Minner is their top, you know, top uh, setup guy, right? So now they have Joe Jimenez. They've got Colin McHugh. They've got Kirby Yates. They have an embarrassment of riches there with Hand and, and Pierce Johnson. So I really really liked what they did there in terms of it, it's not anything that's sexy, but it, it's something that'll work. Nikki Lopez can come in and steal a base pretty handily, play second, play shortstop, play third base, um, you know, back up some of those guys there, give a couple of days off here and there. Those were really, really smart moves on their part, but nothing like super splashy. Yeah, totally agree with that. Another team that made some smart moves, but nothing really smashy, slashy, blah, splashy. <laughs> uh, I'm, mixing all of my consonants right now because I'm <laughs> trying to like think too far ahead. The Philadelphia Phillies, they add Michael Lorenzen, as we mentioned earlier, for Hayo Lee. Uh, they added Rodolfo Castro for Bailey Falter. So they are, they've given up on Bailey Falter as their fifth starter. I don't know that Michael Lorenzen is a better pitcher than Bailey Falter. So I just find this move kind of aggravating and a little bit weird. And also I wish Matt Strom would get some looks at starting pitcher again, because I thought he was great when he started earlier this season. And I'd like to see him start over Michael Lorenzen in Philadelphia, but that's just me. I totally agree with you. I did funny thing about the falter trade too. I was like, that's a great opportunity for him because the stuff is there. He, he didn't have good results, obviously, but there were a lot of people, um, me included, who had him as a, a, a flyer at the end. It was dart throw at the end of several drafts where I thought, this is a guy that could really step in there and be a starter on a pretty good team. It just didn't happen. 
I like the idea of him getting out of there. I'm not sold on Lorenzen either. I mean, I, he's had a, a good year and and did a nice job for the Tigers, but I thought the Phillies might shoot a little higher there, uh, and it didn't seem like they were able to pull anything off in that regard. Yeah, it's an underwhelming deadline for the Philadelphia Phillies, in my opinion, for sure. And I just, I mean, Lorenzen goes from a great pitcher's park in Detroit to a terrible pitcher's park in Philadelphia. And he goes from a passable defense behind him in Detroit to a, I have some question marks, defense behind him in Philadelphia. Like, I just, I don't know. I I don't have any Michael Lorenzen on any of my teams this year, and and I'm glad about it at this moment in time. (laughs) One of the more intriguing deadlines in the National League was certainly the Miami Marlins, who, nope, I, I didn't see them contending. But here they are in the wild card race and in the division conversation, although they're probably not going to take over the Atlanta Braves anytime soon. They had David Robertson for a couple of prospects. They had Jake Berger, which I love because the thing about the Marlins is that they're a collection of second basemen bolstered by two sluggers in Jesus Sanchez and Jorge Soler. Now they have a third slugger in Jake Berger. I like Jake Berger's addition to this team a lot. They added Josh Bell for Gene Segura and Khalil Watson. They added Ryan Weathers, who I think is a sneaky good lefty add for them for Garrett Cooper and Sean Reynolds. And they swapped Dylan Floro and Jorge Lopez. I kind of like the Marlins deadline here. What do you think? Yeah. Can we give Kim Eng a shout out, please? Please do it. Because, you know, there was some real trash talking that was going on on social media yesterday by several people who were calling her a token hire for the Marlins, whatever. She had one of the best deadlines of anybody. She gave up literally nothing to get really talented players. I mean, Eater might be, you know, the, the White Sox were blown away from what I was told by getting Eater for Berger. Uh, Berger's a great guy. He's a great team guy. He's got 25 home runs. He strikes out a ton, but he's made himself into a pretty good baseball player. He's a good third baseman, better third baseman than he was. Not a great third baseman, but what did they give up off of their roster to be able to compete in this division where the wild card is wide open for them? So they add a closer. Um, they add a first baseman, a DH type. They add a third baseman. They they give up one problem reliever for another guy who has potential to be better than Floro was. I think it's a brilliant move by the Marlins. To, it, very low cost, in my opinion. I mean, they, Garrett Cooper was the only player of current value that they gave up for that. And Eater's a prospect. You don't know what he's going to end up being. They really bolstered their team. Shout out to Kim Eng for what she did. I thought she did a brilliant job. I think she's a brilliant mind, honestly. When I've heard her talk and, and seen her interviewed, I've been blown away by what she knows and how good she is at what she does. I think that team could really surprise people and stay in this to the very end. I agree with all of that. And I was kind of like holding my nose a little bit at some of the comments on social media too. Cause I'm like, I don't know, man, you turned Garrett Cooper into Jake Berger and Josh Bell. Like, I think right. that it's a pretty nice swap. Like, I think that that keeps all of the offense that you had with a little bit more power upside and, Josh Bell has struggled in Cleveland. He might struggle in Miami, but you backed it up with Berger, and that's good. I love adding David Robertson to a bullpen that was kind of questionable. Like, A.J. Puck as a closer was okay. Dylan Floro had his moments. Tanner Scott had some moments. But, like, they've got they've been hurt. There are injury concerns there. David Robertson is a horse. David Robertson has been doing this for a really long time. He's a veteran presence. He knows exactly what, it needs, what he needs to do to win baseball games in the ninth inning. I liked this deadline a lot for the Marlins. I would not be surprised to see them surge a little bit in the coming weeks. Let's talk about the two teams who are definitely sellers in this division. The Mets have basically forged an entire new deadline strategy, and that is we will pay money for your prospects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
it could pay off for them. They traded everything that wasn't nailed down pretty much, except maybe Adam Adovino and Brooks Raley. What do you think the Mets about the Mets deadline? And they got some really nice prospect returns. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of fascinating, right? I mean, for as much, you know, flack as Steve Cohen takes, doesn't every team wish that they had an owner who was willing to eat a hundred million dollars in contracts in three days to be able to build a team that can win. And they were, they were upfront and honest with Scherzer and Verlander, right? I mean, as much crap as they took yesterday with what Scherzer put out and said, Hey, you know, I asked them if they were going to compete and they said, no, they could have lied to him really easily and just kind of kept him for $43.3 million a year. Right. But they didn't do that. And I think that's because, Steve Cohen is a businessman. He's a very successful businessman, and he looks at players as commodities, whether we agree with that or not. So he gave up some pretty valuable commodities to get future commodities that he can use to build a better team. Let's face facts. The, everyone knew this. You and I talked about this in the wintertime at, and it, when we were doing the draft. The Mets had a flawed premise to begin with, which was we're just going to throw money at every single problem we have. They overpaid for Nimmo. They overpaid for Scherzer. They overpaid for Verlander because money was not a thing for them. But what ended up happening? They built a crap team. Their team wasn't any good for a variety of reasons. I love what Steve Cohen did. I love what he does. I'm not going to apologize for it. I wish my owner was doing that. The White Sox have an 87-year-old owner who doesn't hold anyone accountable. I wish that we had Steve Cohen as an owner who was going after it every year, even if they have to take a down year next year as these guys kind of learn. But I love what the Mets did. I think it was great. Absolutely. Uh, the Nationals sort of confused me here. I thought they would trade more guys, and maybe they just didn't like the returns that they were being offered for Elaine Thomas or for an Alex Call. Or I mean, I, I honestly don't get it. The fact that the only move they make was made was sending Candelario to the Cubs for – Mate and DJ Hertz is like, that's a good trade. I actually really like both of those dudes. I think they have a bunch of high upside. I like Candelario going back to the Cubs for obvious reasons, but I thought the nationals were going to do more. And I'm very confused by this deadline. Yeah. I was surprised too. I, I, I guess if you look at it, I, I, I thought for sure Finnegan was going to go and, and he's been pitching great. As you know, over the last month, he's been really lights out for them. I was surprised he didn't get moved. I was surprised Lane Thomas is still there. Uh, I was surprised that they didn't do a little bit more than what they did. That being said, they do have some interesting pieces there with Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, and maybe they're maybe they're trying to let that ride a little bit. But the other thing is, is that they don't really have a great farm system right now either. And Mike Rizzo has gone on record as saying that they really don't, you know. And so, uh, what do they have to trade that other people would have been interested in? I think Lane Thomas would have probably been at least a Tommy Pham type return. I mean, a similar type of guy, in my opinion, you know, a guy that can help you out in spurts and whatnot, but they didn't do any of that stuff. And so we don't really know what happened. I don't know if it was that they didn't get uh, things to their liking or if they were just shut out, or maybe they think that they're closer than what the rest of us think they are. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I actually had been looking at, I was sure they were going to move at least one or two outfielders and was really hoping that would create an opportunity for Blake Rutherford, who's been mashing in AAA. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't know why he's not already up. Like, let's just see what he can do. Um, but it, that was not the case. And, uh, you know, Godspeed Nationals, they're going to stand pat with most of what they have, minus uh, Candelario. Let's move to the NL Central, uh, where, again, it's kind of a weird deadline. I thought the Reds would do more. They added... Sam Mall and Cash for Joe Boyle. They traded Joe Kunal for Cash. That's all the Reds did. They need pitching. They got 
absolutely blown out by the Cubs last night. Ben Lively uh, gave up 13 earned runs before he was pulled. The They just were not going to make their bullpen wear that. I think at some point their backup catcher came in and was pitching and he gave up a bomb to Amaya and he might've given up another one. I, I can't remember. There were a lot of runs <laughs> for sure last night's Reds Cubs game. Uh, did the Reds do enough? I'm kind of thinking no. Yeah, I was a little baffled. I mean, I I think, you know, they're a, a, a very interesting squad to watch. They are a lot of fun, you know. Um, Real fun. Uh, you know, Jack, my son, and I watch a lot of games on MLB TV now, and uh, he's always asking, when can we see Ellie? When can we see Ellie? You know, loves watching the guy play. Obviously, he plays with intense energy. The thing is, I I, I wonder if Nick Crawl looks at it and says, you know, we're, we're hitting the year earlier than what we thought we were, and um, I don't want to make any significant moves and kind of see where this goes. Because what were they going to trade? I mean, they're going to get Lodolo back here in a couple of weeks. Hunter Green's going to be back on the 20th, they're saying. Those are both guys that I have in reserve in a couple of different leagues that I'm in. So those are going to be really good enforcements for their reinforcements for their pitching staff right now. To your point, they really could have used a stud pitcher. I, I was um, a little surprised that I didn't hear them enter the fray for um, Dylan Cease. I, I, I was really surprised that the White Sox kept him, uh, as we talked about earlier. Uh, but he, he would have made a lot of sense for them. A guy that's under team control for two more years, they'd have three playoff runs with him. Uh, I would love to take some of their prospects off their hands, you know, uh, maybe a little CES, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, Noel like V. Marte, can Noel V. Marte come on down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they don't have a spot for him. We'll take them, you know, it'd be all right. Um, but yeah, long story short, I was a little surprised that they didn't do more. Although Sam Mall is a good piece to have in their bullpen, they're, they're – I think that maybe they're just kind of letting it ride and thinking, well, we got here a little bit earlier than what we thought we were and maybe didn't want to overpay for. And so I wonder how much that impacted their thinking as they got to the deadline as well. It's a really great point. And I honestly, I I don't think we'll ever know. I do think you might be right on them being a year early and that just sort of impacting their philosophy and strategy overall. It was a very Brewers deadline uh, over in Milwaukee. Mark Canha looks like he was born to be a Brewer, and they got him <laughs> for Justin Jarvis. I mean, Carlos Santana, totally a Brewers dude. Got him for Johnny Severino. The Andrew Chafin for Peter Strzelecki uh, swap was actually kind of a dagger to my heart because I really wanted Chafin back with the Cubs. He was the one lefty reliever that I thought they might have a shot at, and apparently Jed Hoyer said that the prices for relievers were just so high that they weren't willing to pay it. They'd rather see what they can do with their system, which I don't know if that's going to work out or not, but I understand why he did it. Um, and then they made a couple of minor moves for cash and, you know, minor league players, things here, the Luis Arias uh, move that we talked about to Boston earlier. What do you think of the Brewers deadline? Did they do enough to win a very weak division? Yeah, I, th- I think that they're still the favorite to win the division. I think even if they hadn't done anything, they would they would be the favorites to win the division still just based on where they're at and, and how they're performing right now. Um, I think getting Chafin is a really good stabilizing move for their bullpen. They've got some really young, talented guys there, as you know. Yoel Payams and uh, Ebner Uribe has kind of come out of uh, nowhere to really stake a big claim to a higher leverage role. Obviously, they've got Devin Williams, who is one of the best in the game, closing. So I think that they've got a, a squad there that can really help. Carlos Santana is a veteran presence. He's going to he swings a good bat. They're getting fairly close to getting Rowdy back too. Um, I know he had a pretty significant finger injury that he's working his way back from. But you know they got a pretty good lineup and and they can score runs in bunches. Yelich looks resurgent. I, I still think that they're the they're the best team in that division uh, as of right now. I mean that could obviously change. But Chafin fits in really well. I liked how you said that, Sarah. Like these guys are like born to be 
Brewers. Kanya is another guy that is a a really solid veteran presence. And they needed a little help in the outfield. You know, they've been trying to get by with Perkins. They were trying to get by with some spare pieces for a while. Uh, Weimer and Yelich look like they're pretty good players. Obviously, we know that. So adding those guys, I think, really helped them out. Not, Not Again, not super sexy moves, but moves that help good teams get better. Absolutely. Uh, The Cubs did half of what I wanted them to do. Uh, They added Candelario, as we already discussed, uh, trading Kevin Mate, Kevin Maid, uh, and DJ Hertz to the Nationals. I really should know how to pronounce that name, and I'm embarrassed that I don't. Um, They also added Jose Cuas for Nelson Velasquez, a trade we talked about earlier. Josh Roberson for Manny Rodriguez and Adrian Sampson. And I am just... I cannot stop thinking about the fact that the only lefty in the Cubs bullpen right now is Anthony Kay, who is damn lucky he had a 15-run lead in the ninth last night when he gave up four runs on with two outs to the Reds. And I'm just like, what is the plan for lefty relief help? Maybe it's Drew Smiley moves to the pen at some point in time and Hayden Wisniewski or Javier Assad gets more starts. Maybe it is calling up. Uh, Jordan Wicks or something, but I honestly, Bailey Horn, I think is another name I've seen thrown around. I, I don't see it. I think the Cubs did half of what they needed to do. I will also say though, they're the only team with a positive run differential in this division. And they really padded that last night. The bats look super good. Most of the pitching, the starting pitching looks really good. The defense plays. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cubs make a run here. And I'm not sure they did enough to be an actual playoff threat. You know, what's funny is I it's I was thinking the same thing about the lefty and their situation in their bullpen, and, and it's not great. But do you think that they maybe know something about Brandon Hughes that the rest of the world doesn't know, which is that maybe he's going to come back? I, I, I thought that. I think they also think that they're getting reverse splits right now out of Mark Leiter, and maybe yeah. they can just ride that for a while, although I don't know how much I believe in reverse splits. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think you know. I, I read a month ago, you know, that Brandon Hughes was having that knee surgery, and they were talking about him being out for the year. But then it ended up just being a debridement. And then I read last week that he was playing catch. A guy playing catch who isn't planning on coming back uh, doesn't fit with my narrative. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm guessing that he's probably given it a shot. And so if they think that they might be able to get him back, you know, he'd be, he'd be that lefty, right? He'd be that guy that they could really use. And let's face facts. I mean, I'm a Sox fan and, but I don't wish the Cubs any ill will. I've never been one of those guys. And, and I know a lot of people do, and you know, they get real territorial about their team or whatever. They're fun, man. They're fun to watch. Morale is great to watch. Uh, they play with a high level of energy. They actually have – they play together as a team, you know, which is really kind of fun to watch. Um, I, I hope that they do make a run. It'll be interesting to see how they're able to do that. You know, I think finally, for the love of God, putting Alzale into the closer role. Been asking for that for probably 18 months. Um, going back a long way, it was clear that he was their best option. It's clear that he will continue to be their best option. Um, I think that, that once that settled in, that they seemed to really kind of take off after they figured out who was doing what at the back end of their bullpen, you know. So I wish the Cubs uh, all all the luck in the world. I hope that they stay in it because it would be great for baseball for these teams that are kind of riding around 500 to make the playoffs and make a run. Anything can happen once you get into the tournament, as we know. Yeah, I, I have no ill will towards White Sox fans either. I, you know, Eloy Jimenez bobblehead day was like top on my list of things to do. <laughs> I always go to Los White Sox Day Park uh, down on the South Side Day. It's a, it's a lot of fun. The tailgating at Sox Park 
is great. Uh, both it's we're lucky to have two really great baseball teams in the city of Chicago, and I'm not one of those people who's like a cutthroat. Um, Right, the rival is the White Sox type of person. The rival is the Cardinals. People, keep your eye on the ball. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the Cardinals, the Cardinals are one of two teams in the division who sold, and they sold a lot. Um, the Pirates also made a lot of moves to sell off some of their talent. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of these moves are immediately fantasy relevant in ways that we haven't already talked about because the guys who went other places we talked about with the places that they went. But is there anything that jumps out at you about either the Pirates deadline or the Cardinals deadline that you feel like talking about? Well, I, I was a little surprised that the Pirates didn't move any of those bullpen arms. I mean, Bednar notwithstanding. I mean, uh, Carmen Mladzinski and Murata um, uh, and those guys like that, they had some guys that I thought they might move and they didn't. And I was a little surprised by that, Colin Holderman being another one. Um, the Cardinals, I thought, had a pretty good deadline, and I, I think that they did the right thing, obviously, in getting rid of some of these guys that were expiring. I was a little surprised they didn't move an outfielder. I know that there had been a lot of rumors about Dylan Carlson maybe going to the Yankees or going other places, but they've got a log jam out there. Uh, some of that is um, probably amplified now by the you know the news yesterday that Donovan's going to miss the rest of the year. And I thought maybe Tommy Edmond might be a candidate to be traded as well, but they didn't do that either. We know Mason Wynn is kind of chomping at the bit to try to get up there and play shortstop for them. I think once he starts playing shortstop, they're not going to turn away from him. I think he looks like he's going to be a really good player. I was just a little bit surprised. I, I thought maybe the Cardinals might do a little bit more uh, than what they did. But again, they're in that NL Central, as you and I and Govier spoke about earlier in the show, that those divisions are winnable every year. Um, and so maybe the Cardinals think that they can do a quick retooling uh, with Goldschmidt and Arenado and your your uh, your darling Wilson Contreras um, and, and turn it around quickly. And they could. It, it very well could happen. You know, the outfield glut there is interesting. They have Jordan Walker playing out of position right now. He's trying to play right field and he doesn't look very good doing it. Um, I was I kind of thought that they would trade Tyler O'Neill, just given all the drama with him earlier this season. Then later they pulled him off the market. You know, the Cubs pulled Cody Bellinger off the market about 48 hours before the deadline even happened. There's like, nah. And that's partially because the Cubs won eight games in a row. But I actually think it might be because the the market for bats didn't develop the way people thought it would. Like, there's a reason Teoscar Hernandez is the biggest name that didn't move. There's a reason mm -hmm. that Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are still Cardinals. There's a reason that the Cubs pulled Cody Bellinger off the market. Like, I just think that that market for bats may have not developed the way people thought it would. And, you know, that happens. That's totally fine. Last division here to chat about the NL West. Uh, it's like the Dodgers show over here. And I feel like everyone else was just kind of backfilling some moves and the Dodgers were actually trying to make something happen. But these are not your Dodgers of old. So they added Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly uh, for Trace Thompson, Nick Nestrini, and Jordan Leisure. Uh, we already talked about the Ahmed Rosario for Noah Syndergaard swap. Mm -hmm. I like this as a change of scenery for Enrique Hernandez. I don't think that he actually moves the needle all that much. I like adding Ryan Yarborough. I don't think he moves the needle all that much. This kind of looks like a Dodgers team to me that is content to play the middle, try to keep their payroll as low as possible and hope that they win the Otani sweepstakes in the off season. I, you said it better than I could. <laughs> I mean, and, and much more succinctly, I, I think that they don't feel, and I think that they haven't felt that they have a team that can really contend for the whole thing and win the whole thing. And that they're preparing themselves for uh, you know, a free agent run at, at Shohei. Uh, and from what we know about Shohei, you know, and, and what, I mean, he, we don't speak to him directly, obviously, but he's a creature of comfort. He likes to be comfortable. He seems to like LA. I don't, 
I, I, I could see him moving to Chicago. I could see him moving to New York, but I think the better chances are that he's probably going to remain in LA and, and probably go to the Dodgers. My guess on that would be that the Dodgers looked at it and said, you know, we're, we've got some, um, we've got some pieces here. We can contend. We can probably get a wild card. Maybe we can win the division. Obviously the Padres have been um, a stark disappointment this year, as we've all seen. I think that they're content to just kind of play it and, got Lance Lynn and the guy Joe Kelly and got some of these other guys. I don't think that they're really intent on trying to win it this year. They didn't do enough, in my opinion, to be able to put them over the top. Although, by the way, did you notice Lance Lynn last night and what he did? I did not see what Lance Lynn did last night. I was watching the Cubs score 20 runs at Wrigley. Uh, (laughs) Rub it in. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. (laughs) Very good. No, uh, he threw 68% four-seam fastballs last night for the Dodgers. That's old-school Lance Lynn. That's what Lance uh-huh. Lynn used to do. Yeah, he abandoned the cutter and uh, moved away from the sweeper that the White Sox seemed to be insisting that he use. And so maybe they saw something. Now, he did give up three home runs last night, so I think he's given up like 31 or 32 home runs on the season total. So he's still home run prone. But they were all solo shots, and they didn't really end up hurting because they won the game. Long story short, I'm wondering if they noticed something there with that pitch mix that they could change. The White Sox have not gotten very good results when it comes to uh, some of these guys that they've worked with pitching-wise. But, yeah, I I think the Dodgers really are looking to retool for next year. Yeah, this – might make the NL West a really interesting division in the opposite way that the AL West is an interesting division. Like the AL West people made moves and they're trying to chase each other down. The NL West feels like a battle of attrition. Like we're not going to do yeah. anything. We're not going to do anything either. Let's see what happens. The Giants added AJ Pollock and Mark Mathias for a player to be named later. And a couple of minor league swaps. I, okay. I guess the Giants are just kind of sitting pat on what they have. And like, that's fine, but I'm not sure I think the Giants are the second best team in this division. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. It's funny. They seem to really do a lot of things with smoke and mirrors. I've, obviously, they have a really good bullpen, uh, and they catch the ball, and there's a lot to be said for that. But at the same time, what you're saying, like that move doesn't move the you know move the needle at all for anybody, either in fantasy or in real life. They got some depth pieces. Woohoo. Big deal. Yeah, and I mean, what the Diamondbacks did was sort of interesting, too. I, I like the Seawald move. I'm not sure that Strzelecki for Chafin gets them anywhere. That seems like a straight swap for me. Adding Tommy Pham is a weird move for me just because they already have so many outfielders. I'm like, I actually think this hurts Tommy Pham's playing time. And for fantasy purposes, I don't. I think I might like every outfielder in Arizona not named Corbin Carroll less. And like Jace Peterson, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I think obviously the, the jewel for them in all of this was Seawald and we know that uh, as a bullpen, Arizona has tried a, a variety of different combinations this year with some limited success, right? They had McGuff, they had Chafin for a while, they had Castro in there for a while, Kevin Ginkle most recently. They've been trying to kind of figure it out as they go along, and and I think this gives Tori Lavulo a real true closer that they can trust and bump all those other guys down. Castro is better served, in my opinion, as a high leverage reliever or a guy that can go over multiple innings. And this bumps McGuff and Ginkle uh, back a step too, so they don't have the pressure of closing. And they, I think they can be successful that way. Arizona's another team that's really fun to watch. Um, they've got Carroll. Um, one of Jack's favorite players is Alec Thomas, you know, who's playing center field, great center fielder. The bat's starting to catch up a little bit, but they're a lot of fun to watch. I think that they're in it. I, I would love to see 
the Diamondbacks like win the division and, and and have the Dodgers and the Padres in the back seat. That would be great for baseball. I don't think that that can happen necessarily, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. They are a very fun team to watch, though, folks. And if you're not watching them, I would suggest scanning the MLB TV and, and giving them a look at because they're real fun. Yeah, I agree. I like watching the Diamondbacks a lot. Uh, the team that it was sort of a question mark, would they be buyers? Would they be sellers? Could not bring themselves to sell and decided to go in with some low-key buys. San Diego Padres are sitting on one of the best rosters in baseball. They have the all-star closer in Josh Hader. For some reason, they cannot pull ahead of the Diamondbacks and the Giants in this division. They added Rich Hill and G-Man Choi. They added Scott Barlow to bolster their bullpen. They added Garrett Cooper and lost Ryan Weathers. I, I don't hate any of these moves, and I also don't know that it pushes the Padres over the top. They, their problems seem to run deeper than like guys who are going to sit on the bench and play a handful of games a week. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It reminded me a lot of – I we had uh, Scott Merkin on the Fantasy Baseball Beat this week with us and uh, talking about the White Sox. And, uh, you know, what, what, what we kind of landed on was that a collection of talent does not make a team. And they have a lot of high-priced talent there, but it doesn't seem like anybody really likes each other. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of camaraderie when you watch the Padres play. They don't play like they love playing. And they've got Manny Machado. They've got Juan Soto. They've, they're getting a great season out of, out of Kim. Cronenworth has been bad. Uh, Tatis is incredible, right? I mean, they're weak behind the plate. Uh, everybody kind of knows that. And Sanchez has been giving them some power, but it's not a great catcher. The pitching has been a little underwhelming other than Snell. So, it, I, But I think when you're a team like that, Sarah, my thought process always is like, you have to all you have to be all in, right? Like they they really don't have a choice but to be all in. But then they're all in involves getting a forty four year old pitcher who's got one pitch. You know, it it didn't it, it didn't move the needle for me. And I and I know that they think, well, you know, we could rip off eight nine wins in a row and be right in the driver's seat, and that very well could happen. But it just goes to show you once again that a collection of really high priced talent does not mean that you're going to be a better team. I mean. The Diamondbacks are a better team than the Padres, and they have far less talent than what the Padres have. It's a really great point. And I, you know, it's interesting. I think the Padres are hanging their hope on we're, you know, one 10 game winning streak away from being in this thing. The difference between the Padres and the Cubs is that the Cubs had the eight game winning streak. Like they saw, yeah. they saw it happen. I don't really know that the Padres have seen that stretch of baseball this season. And, you know, we'll, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to pull it together. After this trade deadline, we are here for fantasy baseball, though, of course. And so I guess uh, I've already asked you your best piece of advice for a newish fantasy baseball player. So I'm going to mix it up today and we're going to close the show with this. What is your best piece of advice for navigating the last two months of the fantasy baseball season, August and September? The trade deadline has happened. There's lots of moves, lots of player roles changing. How are you leveraging all of the information we just talked about so that your teams <laughs> can be the best they possibly can in your leagues? Well, I, I think one of the things that we've talked about before that I would bring up here again is just uh, st sort of reading the tea leaves a little bit in front of you, you know, looking at where your teams are, looking at what you have a realistic chance of doing, and then trying, and especially in FAB, uh, to try to get some of those guys that are going to be replacing some of the guys to get moves. Like, so for example, uh, in my TGFBI league, uh, Two weeks ago when I'm looking at bullpens, because I do that, right? I mean, that's like my quote-unquote job is to look at bullpens, right? I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, the Mariners are going to trade Seawald. 
And Munoz is going to be that guy. And so I put in like a six or seven dollar bid on Munoz three weeks ago, anticipating that Seawald would end up. So you got to have a little bit of patience in that regard. I mean, I think a lot of people in fantasy baseball are looking for those quick payoffs, right? I want to get a guy that's riding a seven game hot streak. I want to add that guy in right now. You know, the Will Bensons of the world, right? Like you went, but in, in the leagues that you and I play in against really good players, you got to get those guys far earlier. You're not going to get them now. And I think that's one of the big lessons that I've learned in playing with really good players like you and Dave and Dave McDonald and Dave Swan and all the other guys that are in Glarf Govier. And we have a lot of really great people in Glarf, right? But you have to get out ahead of that stuff a little bit and and not be reactive. You got to be proactive. And so you and I talked about it before about you know the the couple last couple spots on your roster should always be in a state of churn. Right. You're, you're, you're keeping those guys for a week or two. You're writing some matchups that you like and then you're getting ready to move on. But I think the one thing that I've really learned in the last couple of years playing against really great players like you has been don't stay in love with a guy that's no longer being productive for you and get rid of that guy and find somebody who's going to be productive. You know, Govier was using Lorenzen as an example. I had Lorenzen for a few weeks back in the start of the season. He was great. He was really, really helpful. When he stops being helpful, when he has two or three bad starts in a row, that's when you got to know when to move on, right? You got to know that it's time to find a replacement for that and get moving in that direction. And you should always be earmarking players to look at later. Like even if you decide not to put a fab bid down on a player on a Sunday night, you got to earmark that guy for later and say, okay, this is one that I'm really going to be watching. So Andres Munoz was a great example of that for me. But here's an example of one that didn't work out. I thought for sure the Padres would trade Hader. I thought for sure that there would be a team out there that would be willing to overpay to get the best closer in baseball because Milwaukee did it last year, right? And so I thought, I'm going to pick up Robert Suarez. So when Glarf, I thought, oh, I'm Mr. Smart Guy. I'm going to pick up Robert Suarez last week for five bucks. Well, now that looks like it was a wasted five dollars. I mean, he might be able to help me with ratios and some strikeouts, but he's not going to get saves because they didn't trade Hater. So you have to be willing to take some of those chances and some of those risks, but you really got to stay out in front of it. And please, for the love of God, whatever league you're in, don't abandon your team and start moving into football. Make sure that you <laughs> play it all the way through. You know, we were I was on um with Joe Orico yesterday on his on his uh fantasy podcast yesterday and we and dave mcdonald was on that one with us right and we name dropped you you should listen to it because we talked about how you come back at the end right like that you never give up and you keep playing right you made up seven points in three days last year in glarf to win the league right people who went to bed on friday night not looking at the roster for the rest of the weekend knowing that they were where they were at you kept playing so i think that that's the thing that's really an important piece is to not give up Points can still be made up quickly in some of these places, even if you think that your your team is not there. So I, I think what I would just say is trying to be proactive, trying to read what teams are going to be doing, taking some chances Not you know, you don't want to risk a ton of fab. You, you want to have some left at the end, right, to be able to get what you need to make an impact that last month. But I really think doing those things and, and, and really looking at where you're at and what you have a chance to do. If you're in 10th place, you're probably not going to make it. But if you're in fourth or fifth place, you still got a shot. It's a really great point about looking at the things that maybe weren't obvious in terms of trade deadline moves and trying to get a week or two ahead of them. I mean, we talked about Nelson Velasquez earlier in this podcast. He was a guy I liked potentially as getting playing time if the Cubs had been sellers. Um, So he's probably been added in a handful of leagues. But if he hasn't been added in your league, yeah, it's a crowded outfield in Kansas City. He might not start with a job tomorrow. Nelson Velasquez has light tower power. 
and he could very quickly establish himself in Kansas City's lineup as a power bat. And if he doesn't do it, it's probably going to cost you like six to $10 a fab and you get a chance to look at it and see what happens and you can just drop him. It's not that big of a deal. Um, another guy that's super interesting to me who was on the move uh, this week, Ryan Weathers, like the Marlins are pitching Johnny Cueto right now and they refuse <laughs> to let Yuri Perez throw meaningful innings until some date in the future that only they know. Ryan Weathers is a dude who could be a better arm for them to rely on than Johnny Cueto and they need arms to pitch starting baseball. And even if he winds up being a middle reliever, he might vulture some wins. So there's a handful of dudes that moved at the margins here that, you know, obviously Scherzer isn't available in your leagues and Verlander isn't available in your leagues and whatever, but the, I don't know, like Tyler McGill is more interesting today than he was yesterday. So is David Peterson. So go mm-hmm. digging in to those rosters, find those number six and seven guys, the guys who are going to take that playing time and place some bets on dudes that you think are going to establish themselves in the next week or two. It could really pay off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I love those fringy guys, too. You know, the ones that you you start thinking about it, you're like, okay, like the White Sox have a bunch of innings that need to be eaten now, too, with 40% of the rotation gone, right? So Tuki Toussaint, who has a first-round pedigree, is another example of a guy who's not been successful, but his last two starts have been pretty good for the Sox. Like, that might be a guy that you stream for a week if he's got good matchups. Uh, Jesse Schultens is another one that the White Sox are going to be turning to. Uh, Luis Patino, who they just acquired from Tampa Bay yesterday, is another guy who could get some innings down the stretch. So it's always looking at those things and seeing where you might get an opportunity. I mean, uh, three weeks ago in my column on fan tracks, I talked about, you know, it might be time to grab Gregory Santos. He's going to end up being the closer for the White Sox if Hendricks doesn't come back. And lo and behold, August 2nd, he's the closer. So it, it's not rocket science. It's just looking at how things are going to shake out and realizing, trying to kind of think along with the GMs and think about what they're doing and how they're going to add or subtract from their teams. Great advice, as always. Mike, where can people find you? Where can they find your work? Where can they find all this great advice? Oh, geez. Well, I don't know how great it is, but thank you for having me. I always love coming on with you. I love our baseball conversations. I feel like we don't even need a script. We could probably just talk for three hours and not be boring to each other. So, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at MDRC0508, worst Twitter handle of all time. Um, I work on weekly bullpen pieces for fan tracks. Those usually come out on Saturday morning. I like to make my pot of coffee at 430 in the morning and get started working on those things. It's a labor of love. It's a lot of fun. I'm also the co-host of the Fantasy Baseball Beat with Chris Torres. We have weekly podcasts. You've been on. Thank you for coming on with us. We had we try to get fantasy or not fantasy. We try to get fantasy players to come on, but also we get beat reporters to come on and talk about what they're seeing from teams and whatnot. And then I also write some narrative pieces for Nine and Know It All, which is my first foray into writing anything about baseball going back about 12, 14 years now. So that's where you can find me. Um, my DMs are always open. I'd like to point out, as I always do when I go on pods, that um, you know mental health is extremely important, especially in men. We don't have a tendency to talk about it. If you ever need resources or want to talk to somebody, um, my DMs are open. I will give you my phone number. We can talk. Um, I'm, I'm here to help and, and try to be assisting to people. Besides looking at bullpens and trying to help you find saves and holds, I also want to try to help people find resources in their communities uh, to get help if they need it. And, and honestly, I've had it happen three or four times this year where somebody who reads what I write follows me up and says, hey, I'm having some real problems with this. What do you think? You know, And I think that as a huge compliment, and I think it's a, another thing that we all got to look out for each other. The world is a mean and nasty place. A lot of the time we don't need it in fantasy baseball. And we certainly don't need it to each other. Let's be kind. 
let's be great. You've always been awesome to me, Sarah. I appreciate you and love what you're doing and all the fantasy stuff. And that this podcast is must listen. Not when I'm on it's must listen when you have other people on. Um, but it's been great. And I love what you're doing and keep grinding. You do outstanding work. I think that's so kind of you. And Y'all need to listen to Mike. Mike's outstanding. Uh, it's funny. Uh, Govier had to leave a little bit early because he literally joined us on a day he was moving, which I think mm -hmm. is just so cool. It's another dude who cares a lot about mental health resources. I don't think I'm putting words into his mouth to say that he would echo and retweet everything that Carter just shared there. Uh, MJ, at MJ Govier and FTN Fantasy, the Palazzo podcast. Who else? Who sees? Uh, if you are looking for additional fantasy baseball content there that is excellent, you can find my Baseball writing about the Cubs at BCB underscore Sarah and at bleedcubbyblue.com. You can find everything I'm doing fantasy-wise at What the Fab, and you can follow the show by searching for Fans for Sports Network Fantasy. We're back usually once a week. This is a two-a-week episode, mainly because we wanted to make sure you had everything you needed for the trade deadline. Be back next week. I actually think Torres, who you just mentioned, is coming on in the next couple of weeks. We've got some great oh, guests. No. Oh, yeah, no. great guests lined up here. At be, re be, ready, be ready for Yankee insanity and stream of consciousness talking. <laughs> I, we're lucky he's not doing it right after the trade deadline because, frankly, like the Yankees' trade de deadline was disappointing as we talked about. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited to have Torres on the show. Uh, leave us a five star review and a rating if the show is help helpful to you. Until next time.